good morning my friends i'm dr armen so that is dr y yeah professor y uh, dr armen astvatsatrian from yerevan armenia and uh, today we will talk about pericarditis actually this is a series of lectures for medical students okay so pericarditis what is pericarditis pericarditis as a name is an inflammation of the pericardium often with fluid accumulation pericarditis may be caused by many disorders for example infection myocardial infarction trauma tumors metabolic disorder but it's often idiopathic symptoms include chest pain or tightness often worsened by deep breathing cardiac output may be greatly reduced if cardiac tamponade or constrictive pericarditis develops develops Diagnosis is based on uh, symptoms of friction rub, electrocardiographic changes, and evidence of pericardial fluid accumulation on X-ray or echocardiogram. Finding the cause requires further evaluation. Treatment depends on the cause, but general measures include analgesics, anti-inflammatory drugs, corkicine and rarely surgery colchicine okay and rarely surgery colchicine pericarditis is the most common pericardial disorder so congenital pericardial disorders are rare okay about anatomy so uh, the pericardium has two layers the visceral pericardium is a single layer of a mesothelial cells that is attracted to the myocardium falls back reflect in uh, reflects on itself over the origin of the great vessels and joins with a tough fibrous layer to envelop the heart as the peripheral pericardium the sac created by these layers contains a small amount of fluid less than 25 to 50 50 millimoles uh, milliliters millimoles milliliters composed mostly of an infiltrate unfiltrated or plasma plasma the pericardium limits distension on the cardiac chambers and increases the heart's efficiency the pericardium is richly in in uh, with sympathetic and somatic efferents stretch sensitive mechanoreceptor sense changes in cardiac volume and tension and may be responsible for transmitting pericardium pain the phrenic nerves are embedded in the parietal pericardium and vulnerable to injury during surgery on the pericardium. So, pathophysiology of pericarditis. Pericarditis may be acute, subacute, of course, and chronic. Acute pericarditis develops quickly, causing inflammation of the pericardial sac and often a pericardial effusion. Inflammation can extend to the pericardial myocardium. Uh, myopericarditis adverse hemodynamic effects and uh, rhythm disturbance are rare uh, although cardiac tamponade is possible acute disease may resolve completely resolve and reoccur up to 30% of acute cases or become subacute or chronic these forms develop more slowly their Prominent feature is effusion. 
subacute pericarditis uh, occurs within weeks to months and of an inciting event. Chronic pericarditis is defined as a pericarditis persisting more than six months. Pericardial effusion is accumulation of fluid in the pericardium. The fluid may be serious fluid, sometimes with uh, fibrin strands, serious fluid, blood, pus, or child. Cardiac tamponade occurs when a large pericardial effusion impairs cardiac feeling, leading to low cardiac output and sometimes shock and death. If fluid, usually blood, accumulates rapidly, even small amounts, for example 150 milliliters, may cause tamponade because the pericardium cannot stretch quickly enough to accommodate, uh, accommodate it. Slow accumulation of up to 1,500 milliliters may not cause tamponade. Loculated effusion may cause localized tamponade on the right or left side of the heart. Occasionally, pericarditis causes a markedly thickening and stiffening of the pericardium, so-called constrictive pericarditis. Actually, constrictive pericarditis, which is, most, uh, which is now less common than in the past, results from marked inflammatory fibriotic thickening of the pericardium. Sometimes the visceral and parietal layers adhere to the each other or to the myocardium. The fibrotic tissue often contains calcium deposits. The stuff thickened pericardium markedly impairs ventricular feeling, decreasing stroke volume and cardiac output. Significant pericardial fluid accumulation is rare. Rhythm disturbances uh, is common. The diastolic pressures in the ventricles, uh, atria and the venous beds becomes virtually the same. Systemic venous congestion occurs, causing considerable transudation of fluid from systemic capillaries with dependent edema and later ascites. Chronic elevation of systemic venous pressure and hepatic venous pressure may lead to liver scarring, called cardiac cirrhosis. Constriction of the left atrium, the left ventricle, or both may elevate pulmonary venary pressure, venous pressure. Occasionally, pleural effusion develops. There are several variants of constrictive pericarditis. Chronic constrictive pericarditis, usually requiring pericardiectomy as definitive treatment. Subacute early stage. Constrictive pericarditis developing weeks to months after an inciting injury and managed initially with medical therapy. Treatment constrictive pericarditis, typically subacute, is that which resolves spontaneously or after medical therapy. Effusion of constrictive pericarditis characterized by pericardial constriction involving the visceral pericardium with significant pericardial effusion, sometimes requiring treatment for cardiac tamponade. Etiology. So acute, peri acute pericarditis result from in infection, autoimmune or inflammatory disorder, uremia, trauma, myocardial infarction, cancer, radiation therapy or certain drugs. 
Infectious, peri infectious pericarditis is more often viral or idiopathic, idiopathic. Purulent bacterial pericarditis is uncommon but may follow infective endocarditis, pneumonia, septicemia, penet uh, penetrating trauma, or cardiac surgery. Often the cause cannot be identified called nonspecific or idiopathic pericarditis, but many of these cases are probably viral. Acute myocardial infarction causes 10 to 15% causes of acute pericarditis. Post-myocardial infarction syndrome, Dressler syndrome, is a less common cause now, occurring mainly when reperfusion with percutaneous transluminally coronary angioplasty or thrombolytic drugs is ineffective, is ineffective in patients with transmural, uh, is ineffective, yes, with uh, transmural infarction. But it's actually very questionable. Anyway, so pericarditis occurs after pericardiotomy called post-pericardiotomy syndrome in 5 to 30% of cardiac operations. Post-pericardiotomy syndrome, post-myocardial infarction syndrome and tromic pericarditis comprise the post-cardiac injury syndromes. Subacute pericarditis is a prolongation of acute pericarditis and thus has the same causes. Some patients have transient constriction occurring days to weeks after recovery from acute pericarditis. Chronic pericarditis with pericardial effusion or chronic constrictive pericarditis may follow acute pericarditis or almost any etiology. In addition, some cases occur without antecedent acute pericarditis. Chronic pericarditis with large effusion, serous, serous, sorry, serous, serous, serous anginous, or bloody, is most commonly caused by metastatic tumors, most often by lung carcinoma, risk carcinoma, sarcoma, melanoma, leukemia, and or lymphoma. Hypothyroidism may cause pericardial effusion and cholesterol pericarditis. Cholesterol pericarditis is a rare disorder that may be associated with myxedema, in which a chronic pericardic effusion has a high level of cholesterol oral triggers inflammation and pericarditis. Sometimes no cause of chronic pericarditis is identified. Transient constrictive pericarditis is most commonly caused by infection or post-pericardiotomy inflammation or is idiopathic. Fibrosis of the pericardium, sometimes leading to chronic constrictive pericarditis, may follow purulent pericarditis or accompany, or accompany uh, a connective tissue disorder in, yes, in connective tissue disorder, yes. In older, in older patients, common causes are malignant tumors, myocardial infarction, tuberculosis. Hemopericardium, accumulation of blood within the pericardium, may lead to pericarditis or pericardial fibrosis. Fibrosis. So common causes include chest trauma, yartrogenic injury, for example, resulting from cardiac catheterization, pacemaker insertion, central venous line placement, and rupture of thoracic aortic aneurysm. <coughs> Symptoms and signs. Okay, let's talk about symptoms and signs. Some patients present with symptoms and signs of inflammation, acute pericarditis. Uh, others, 
present with those of fluid accumulation, pericardial effusion, or construction or constriction. Symptoms and signs vary depending, of course, on the severity of inflammation and the amount rate of fluid accumulation. Even a large amount of pericardial fluid may be asymptomatic if it develops slowly, for example, months, over months. Acute pericarditis tends to cause chest pain, sometimes with dyspnea. Yes, chest pain and pericardial rub. Actually, yes, let's try to do it. Sometimes with dyspnea. The first evidence can be tamponade with hypertension, shock, or pulmonary edema. Actually, concerning audio sounds, you can find in my uh, lectures, so auscultation, and you can find them pericardial friction rub. So go with this link to hear that. But let's uh, maybe I'll try to put once again pericardial fr uh, friction rub, please. Yeah, pericardial friction rub, if it's, if it's possible, of course. Yes, please. Be careful now. Once again, please. Pericardial friction rub. Okay, once again, the last time, okay. Ah, very good. So, you hear pericardial friction rub. Because the in, in, innervation, because the innervation of the pericardium and myocardium is the same, the chest pain of pericarditis is sometimes similar to that of myocardial ischemia, the myocardial inflammation or even ischemia. Dull or sharp pericardial substantial pain may radiate to the neck, trapezius ridge, especially, especially the left, or shoulders. Pain ranges from mild to severe, unlike ischemic chest pain. Pain due to pericarditis is usually aggravated by thoracic motion, cough, breathing, or swallowing food. It may be relieved by sitting up and learning forward. Tachypnea is and non-productive cough may be present. Fever, chills, and weakness are common. In 15 to 25 percent of patients with idiopathic pericarditis, symptoms recur intermittently for months of years. Recurrent pericarditis. Uh, the most important physical finding is a three-phasic or a systolic and diastolic precardial friction rub that we heard up above. Huh? However, the rub is often intermittent and evanescent. 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 And may be present only during systole or less frequently only during diastole. If no rub is heard with the patient seated and leaning forward, auscultation may be attempted by listening with the diaphragm of the stethoscope while with the patient is on all is on all fours. 
Sometimes the plural component to the rub is noted during during breathing, which is due to inflammation, or the plural adjacent to the pericardium. Pericardial effusion. Okay. So pericardial effusion is of is often painless, but when it occurs with acute pericarditis, pain may be uh, present. Considerable amounts of pericardial fluid may muffle hard sound. Yeah. Increases the area of cardiac dullness and change the size and shape of the cardiac silhouette. A pericardial rub may be heard with large effusions. Compression of the base of the left lung can decrease breath sounds. Hard, uh, hard, uh, hard, hard near the left scapula, scapula and causes crackles. Arterial pulse, jugular venous pulse, and blood pressure are normal unless intrapericardial pressure increases substantially, causing tamponade. In the postmyocardial infarction syndrome, pericardial effusion can occur with fever, friction rub, pleurisy, pleural effusions, and joint pain. Pleurisy, yeah, pleurite, and joint pain. So the uh, pleuritis, pleurisy. The syndrome usually occurs within 10 days to 2 months after myocardial infarction. It's usually mild, but may be severe. Occasionally, the heart ruptures post-myocardial infarction, causing hemopericardium and tamponade, usually 1 to 10 days post-myocardial infarction, and more commonly in women. Cardiac tamponade. Uh, so the clinical findings are similar to those of cardiogenic shock, decreased cardiac output, low systemic arterial pressure, tachycardia, and dyspnea. Neck veins are markedly dilated. Severe cardiac tamponade is nearly always accompanied by a fall of more than 10 mm hydrargium in systolic blood pressure during inspiration, pulsus paradoxus. In advanced cases, pulse may disappear during inspiration. However, pulses paradoxes can also occur in chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, bronchial asthma, pulmonary embolism, right ventricle infarction, and non-cardiogenic shock. Heart sounds are muffled unless the effusion is a small. Loculated effusions are and eccentric, eccentric, or localized hematoma may cause localized tamponade in which only selected cardiac chambers are compressed. In these cases, physical, hemodynamic, and some echocardiographic signs may be absent. Constrictive pericarditis. Fibrosis or calcification rarely causes symptoms unless constrictive pericarditis develops. The only early abnormalities may be elevated ventricular diastolic atrial, pulmonary, and systemic venous pressures. Symptoms and signs of peripheral venous congestion, for example, peripheral edema, neck vein distension, hepatomegaly, may appear with an early diastolic sound. Pericardial knock, often best heart, heard during inspiration. This sound is due to abrupt slowing or diastolic ventricular feeling by the right 
sorry, not right, rigid pericardium. So let's uh, listen uh, diastolic knock. But once again, if you wanna, so go to uh, auscultation, my lecture. Huh? You can find it this in YouTube or uh, or one of the podcasts. The actually uh, auscultation, and let's hear diastolic knock. Let's try to uh, listening. Make it more louder, please. Yes, diastolic knock, please. Yes, diastolic knock, ladies and gentlemen. Not good quality at all, huh? Okay, once again, diastolic knock, please. Yeah, once again. Okay, last last time. Yeah, it was diastolic knock. So ventricular systolic function, based on ejection fraction, of course, is usually preserved. Prolonged elevation of pulmonary venous pressure results in dyspnea, particularly during exertion, and orthopnea. Fatigue may be severe. Distension of the neck veins with a, with a rise in venous pressure during inspiration, Q-smile sign is present, it's absent in a tamponade. Pulses paradoxus is rare and is usually less severe than in tamponade. Lungs are not congested unless severe left ventricular constriction develops. So diagnosis, let's talk about diagnosis of pericarditis. Electrocardiography, mm, yeah, why not? And check stray, echocardiography, of course. Test to identify cause, huh? pericardial Fluid aspiration, pericardial biopsy. ECG and chest X-ray are done. Echocardiography is done to check uh, for effusion, particularly loculated effusion with localized tamponade, which because with or with, so which because of its atypical manifestations may not be suspected, and uh, which may be suggested by indirect findings such as compression of chambers. And characteristic, characteristic, characteristic respiratory variations, cardiac feeling abnormalities, and wall motion abnormalities, characteristic of myocardial involvement. Blood tests may detect leukocytosis and elevated erythrocyte sedimentation rate, but these findings are non-specific. So acute diagnosis acute of acute pericarditis. Diagnosis is based on the presence of the following clinical findings and ECG abnormalities, which are not always present in all cases. Characteristic chest pain. Yeah. Pericardial rub, ECG abnormalities. Pericardial effusion. Serial ECGs may be needed to show abnormalities. The ECG in acute pericarditis may show abnormalities confined to ST and PR segments and T waves, usually in most leads. 
ECG changes in lead AVR are generally in the opposite direction of other leads. Unlike myocardial infarction, acute pericarditis doesn't cause reciprocal depression in ST segments, except in leads AVR and AV1. No, actually, reciprocal changes we can see just in first hours of myocardial infarction. And there are no pathologic Q waves on the second day, for example. ECG, as in myocardial infarction, we see. ECG changes uh, in pericarditis can occur in first stages, although not all stages are present in all cases. Stage 1, ST uh, segments uh, show upward con conclave elevation. The PR segment may be depressed. I don't know, actually, can, uh, could we show this? Okay, uh, let's try. Uh, I'll try to show you, huh? but anyway, it will be not a good quality. If you see some problems, you can see this. Uh, okay, or may, you may put on pause this uh, presentation. Yeah, and look it more carefully. Let, okay, let's try. Okay, let's try. So you understand this is a not quality at all. But you can, you can see, you can put on pause. So you see PR's, uh, PR segment, you see ST segment, right? Some typical elevations. But not without reciprocal, no reciprocal changes. So, yes, actually we can see this in uh, acute pericarditis. Yes, you can put it on pause and see this, yeah? Okay. So it was stage one. Stage two, ST segment return to baseline, T waves flattern. Uh, so flattern, huh? Not as a mountain, but flattern on isoline. As stage three, uh, T waves are inverted, inverted through throughout ECG to negative, and T wave inversion occurs after the ST segment has returned to baseline and thus differs from the pattern of acute ischemia or myocardial infarction. Actually, it's a question about myocardial infarction, but anyway. And stage four, T wave changes resolve. Echocardiography in acute pericarditis typically shows an effusion which helps confirm the diagnosis except in patients with purely fibrinosis acute pericarditis in whom echocardiography is often normal. Findings indicating myocardial involvement include new focal or diffuse left ventricle dysfunction. MRI can detect the present severity and acute of pericardial inflammatory, uh, but is generally not required to diagnose acute pericarditis. Because the pain of pericarditis may resemble that of acute myocardial infarction or pulmonary infarction, additional tests, for example, serum cardiac marker measurements, lung scan, may be required in uh, if the history and ECG findings are typically Typical for pericarditis, troponin is often elevated in acute pericarditis due to epicardial inflammation, so it cannot discriminate between pericarditis, acute infarction, and pulmonary embolism. So once again, if troponin is elevated, is a sign of necrosis. So due to myocardial infarction, with not due to not myocardial infarction, pericarditis, myocarditis, endocarditis, troponin is a troponin, a sign of my, my, uh, necrosis of the myocytes, cardiomyocytes. Very high levels of troponin may indicate myopericarditis. The CKMB fraction, creatinine kinase muscle blood uh, band isoenzyme level, which is less sensitive, sensitive, sensitive 
that the troponin level is usually normal in acute pericarditis unless myocarditis is also present. Postpericardiotomy and postmyocardial infarction syndromes may be difficult to identify and must be distinguished from recent myocardial infarction, pulmonary embolism, and pericardial infection after surgery, pain, frictional rub, and, and fever appearing two weeks to several months after surgery, and a rapid response to aspirin, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, colchicine, uh, colchicine, or corticosteroids, it's eight diagnoses. About pericardial effusion. Diagnosis is suggested by clinical findings, but often is suspected only after finding an enlarged cardiac silhouette on chest X-ray. On ECG, QRS voltage is often decreased and sinus rhythm remains in about 90% of patients with large chronic effusions, the ECG may show electric alternance, that is P, QRS, or T wave amplitude increases and decreases on alternate beats. Electric alternance is associated with variant variation in cardiac position, uh, swinging, uh, swinging, swinging, swinging heart. Yeah. Echocardiography estimates the volume of pericardial fluid, identifies cardiac tamponade, acute myocarditis, and heart or heart failure. It may uh, overestimate its size and it's not a first-line test to evaluate possible pericardial effusion. Patients with a normal ECG, small, so less than 50 milliliters effusion, and no suspicious findings from the history and examination may be observed with serial examination and echocardiography. Other patients must be evaluated further to determine etiology. Constrictive pericarditis. Diagnosis may be, suspect, may be suspected on clinical ECG, chest X-ray and Doppler echocardiography. Findings but, uh, but cardiac catheterization, computer tography, or actually MRI are usually required. Rarely, right heart biopsy is needed to exclude restrictive cardiomyopathy. ECG changes are non-specific. QRS voltage is usually low. T waves are usually non-specifically abnormal. Atrial fibrillation occurs in about one-third of patients. Atrial flutter is less common. Lateral chest X-ray often shows pericardial cardiac, uh, cardiac calcification best, but the finding, finding is non-specific. Echocardiography also is non-specific. When the right and left ventricular filling pressures are equally elevated, Doppler echocardiography helps distinguish constrictive pericarditis from restrictive cardiomyopathy. Uh, during inspiration, mitral diastolic flow velocity usually falls more than 25% in constrictive pericarditis, but less than 15% in restrictive cardiomyopathy. In constrictive pericarditis, Inspiratory tricuspid flow velocity increases more than it normally does.
but it does not do so in restrictive cardiomyopathy. Determining, deter determining tissue velocities determine. determining tissue velocities as the mitral annulus may be helpful when excessively high left atrial pressure blunts respiratory variation in transvalvular velocities mitral annual velocities especially at the septal location increases increase in constrictive pericarditis they decrease in restrictive cardiomyopathy presence of a septal bounce septal bounce a shift of the intraventricular septum towards the left ventricle during inspiration and away from the left ventricle during expiration and hepatic vein expiratory diastatic reversal which occurs due to reduced feeling of the right ventricle can also be visible in constrictive pericarditis respiration related ventricle septal shift preserved or increased medial annual velocity medial annual velocity and hepatic vein expiratory diastatic reversals collectively are referred to as the Mayo, Mayo, Mayo Clinic criteria. But each factor is independently associated with constrictive pericarditics. A cardiac catheterization right to left sided is done of clinical and electrocardiographic findings suggests constrictive pericarditis. Cardiac catheterization helps confirm and quantify the abnormal hemodynamics that define, that define constrictive pericarditis. Mean, mean pulmonary artery occlusion pressure, pulmonary capillary wedge pressure, pulmonary artery diastolic pressure, right ventricular and diastolic pressures, and mean right atrial pressures are roughly equal at all about 10 to 30 millimeter hydrargue. The pulmonary artery and right ventricular systolic pressures are normal or modestly elevated so that pulses pressures are small. In the atrial pressure curve, X and Y descents are typically accentuated. In the ventricle pressure curve, a diastolic dip occurs as the time of the rapid ventricular filling. During peak inspiration, right ventricle pressure increases when the left ventricle pressure is lowest, sometimes called mirror image discordance, suggesting increased ventricular inter interdependence. Because ventricular filling is restricted, Ventricular pressure tracing show a sudden dip followed by a plateau resembling a, uh, a square root sign. Is early diastole? In early diastole, yeah. Square root sign, yeah. Measuring these changes requires simultaneous right and left heart cardiac catheterization using separate transducers. These hemodynamic changes almost always occur with significant constrictive pericarditis, but may be masked during hypovolemia. Right ventricular systolic pressure of more than 50 millimeter hydrargium often occurs in restrictive cardiomyopathy, but less often in constrictive pericarditis. 
When the pulmonary artery occlusion pressure equals the right atrial, right atrial mean pressure and early diastolic dip in the ventricular pressure curve occurs with large X and Y waves in the right atrial curve, either disorder may be present. Computer tomography or MRI can identify, identify pericardial thickening uh, more than 5 uh, millimeters. Pericardial thickening uh, more than 5 millimeter with typical hemodynamic changes assessed by echocardiography and catheterization can confirm constrictive pericarditis. When no pericardial thickening or fluid is seen, the diagnosis of restrictive cardiomyopathy is favored but not proved. A normal pericardial thickness doesn't exclude constrictive pericarditis. Increased T2-weighted short, uh, short T1 inversion recovery a signal and late gadolinium enhancement on the cardiac MRI can document active inflammation and resolution of constriction in response to anti-inflammatory therapy, whereas their absence suggests chronic constrictive pericarditis that is unlikely to be responsive to medical therapy. The degree of late gadolinium enhancement of the pericardium may be especially helpful in identifying patients in whom constriction will reverse or resolve. I say, okay, uh, I think uh, it's enough uh, for today, for first part of pericarditis. Thank you for your attention. So don't forget to follow and, and subscribe our channel, Dr. Y. Yes, and uh, please don't forget to make your donations, eh? because without your donates, can't exist, actually. So how, how to make these donations, you can find in description of this video in YouTube or on description of this audio in your podcast. Okay, bye. See you.